0: welcome back to the line podcast my name is aaron alexander this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind body and movement today's guest is my very good friend khalil rafati we've known each other for the last five or so years Uh, he's the author of i forgot to die he has one of the most impressive turnaround stories of anyone you could ever hear Uh, we get into some of the details of this of pretty extreme Abuse and trauma growing up turned into pretty extreme uh, drug addiction, heroin addiction, particular uh, among other things. He was completely homeless. Uh, complete. He lived in Skid Row. Uh, he was 109 pounds. This was in like, I think it was 2003, if I remember reading correctly. And he completely flipped his life around. He's now a the owner of Sun Life Organics. He is a speaker. He is a best-selling author, and he's just a real true inspiration and a good friend so I'm excited to get to share his story with you guys I think it'll be very moving and very supportive for a lot of people uh, just to see what he's going through and how he navigated it and how he made it out the other side uh, thank you guys for subscribing so you get each week's episodes thanks for leaving us reviews wherever you listen to this spotify apple wherever it's at uh, also thanks for checking us out over on youtube at align podcast where we share clips from the podcast as well as instructional content two times per week on helping you sort out that sweet sultry body of yours that is it that is all I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with my bro khalil rafati locked in khalil Woo. son of a gun Finally. What do you think all that spiritual shit? Um, we just did a breathing practice. People in the audio probably aren't going to see that, but we just did
1: a what do I puffin, think? I mean, puffin and puffin. I don't like, uh, I think it's awesome. I think, I think whatever is gonna bring somebody closer to God or their own idea of what God is or the creator is or spirit or source. There's all these fancy new words now that I'm probably not even aware of the latest ones, but, um, I'll just use the word God um, to keep it simple, but I, I for, you know, for me, most of my problems in life came from not being spiritually centered and not being or trying to be the man that God intended me to be. So anything that's going to bring me back to that path, back to gratitude, um, back to having just a tiny little bit of humility so I'm not unbearable to those around me is good
0: Mm. upon uh reading your book listening to podcast interviews with you in preparation for this i realized how many congruencies we have in each other's lives you've had a more checkered um, past than i have mine's like kind of your life soft yeah but there's like a lot of consistencies like and i'm sure we'll talk about them as we as we go uh, but something that I've <clears throat> noticed recently upon going through some therapy stuff uh, is a a lack of development in what I've termed like my core self mm-hmm. and then a, a uh, potential for dependency in reaching out for other things, mm-hmm. women, drugs, food, you know any of the things yeah, as a way to kind of like cope with a lack of anchorage within myself.
1: Yeah. And I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, that's all of our struggle to one degree or more. Um, Most people aren't aware of it. So the fact that you're aware of it is massive because most people are just asleep. Most people are just going through the motions. Most people are, are stuck on that bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy and you know worrying about the rent and worrying about getting laid and worried about whatever so they never really get to look at themselves truly look at themselves and acknowledge who they are what they are what they want what they've been through what they would like to become um so even though it feels like when you start to peel back the layers of the onion like oh god i should be so much further along in life the reality is is you're so much further ahead than most people. It just never feels like it when you're on that journey. And it's not supposed to feel that way. Cause if you did feel like you were further along, you'd be an asshole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at in your journey with, with that um, development of, of say core self or relationship to, to uh, whatever, whatever words you want to put on it yourself.
1: Um. Well, it's been almost 20 years since Um. In 12-step programs, or particularly Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, since I put the plug in the jug. But in my case, it was since I put the spoon down and picked up a fork. Um, I was an IV drug user for your listeners who are not familiar with my story. Um, So it's been almost 20 years since I've been clean and sober. So um, I've done a, a ton of work. I have a ton more work to do. But um, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was discussing, um, of course, I can't think of her name. Who's the beautiful, brilliant, very tall, strikingly gorgeous blonde girl that you're friends with that has the Mushroom Company? I don't know. Oh, Allie. Allie. Yeah. Allie Shipper, yeah. I was talking to Allie yesterday and, and her and some people that we were sitting with were saying like, you know, God, the shit that you say sometimes, it's like so... You know, it could be if another person said it it would be so like offensive or whatever but for some reason when you say it um it, it's not offensive like it's actually kind of funny and I was like well because I don't I don't want anything or, or better yet I don't need anything and I'm an old man now you know I'm 53 years old so when I was 23 years old I wanted and needed everything And when i was in that state i was saying all kinds of things to try to get the things that i thought i needed or wanted to make me feel happily and usefully whole but at this stage in my life when the house is paid for and the car is paid for and the business is thriving and my physical health is thriving and i'm in a long-term committed relationship that is so much more incredible than i ever ever in my life imagined it's a different place. It's a it's a place where I can recognize a lot of my character defects. Um, but more importantly, when I see other people's character defects, I can go, before I get all wound up and wanna judge, I can go, who the fuck are you to judge? Mm. You can't judge anyone. You better just fucking have a seat. Like if that woman wants to wear a mask in an airport after it's been, you know, there's empirical evidence now in all news outlets that cloth masks don't work right but you go to lax and half the people are wearing masks and they're still announcing over the loudspeaker that you need to keep six feet away from other people which again has been completely proven to have no effect on an airborne virus you know we're in this room right now whether we're six feet apart from this amazing person who's helping us do this podcast or whether we're 12 feet apart or 20 feet apart, that virus is airborne. It's going to go wherever it wants to go. So I was in the airport desperately trying to get out of LA a day early. And I saw this woman come up and say hello to another woman. And they were like hardcore masked up. And I was about to go into my self-righteous indignation. And you look at, you know, blah, 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 look how stupid this, whatever. And I caught myself Like, like who the fuck are you? You're gonna judge this woman? First of all, why don't you appreciate the fact that two people are so excited to see one another? They were hugging each other. They obviously hadn't seen each other in a while. And then I was staring. I didn't realize I was staring, but I was staring. And then the woman who was like, like severely masked up looked over at me. I could only see her eyes, but she caught me staring And I looked at her, and I started smiling, and then I started smiling bigger. And even though she had a mask on, I could tell she started smiling. And all of a sudden, me and this woman who seemingly completely different worlds, right, were just having this moment where we were looking into one another's souls, and we were smiling so big and so bright, and there was so much love coming from her eyes. And all of a sudden, the mask wasn't there. It was just too human beings that were acknowledging one another that were that were appreciating one another if i was struggling with my rent if i was newly sober if i were desperate and single which i've been many times in my life um that couldn't have happened so i'm at a much much different place now that i'm much older and that i've done a ton of work still completely flawed and still have a ton of work And I'm still nowhere near being the man that God intended me to be. But I'm awake and I'm aware and I'm on the path. You
0: know Boyd Vardy.
1: Very well. You know
0: his story about his house was robbed and his family was all tied up and there was a gun in his mouth. And the guy was telling him he was about to kill him. And then suddenly they had this like Neo Matrix-like moment and everything, time slowed down and they saw love within each other and they just like dropped the gun and walked out
1: and i just watched a video this morning of a man who was trying to rob i think it was a bank and the woman behind the counter didn't react she just looked at the guy and he's like showed her the gun and he's like you need to take all the money out of the register and give it to me and uh and uh why aren't you scared and she was like I'm not scared because I'm with Jesus and Jesus loves you and you don't need to do this. And the guy literally like started shaking and he started to apologize. And he's like, I never did this before. And she's like, it's okay. Jesus loves you. And Jesus is there for you. And it was like, I'm not like a big Christian or whatever, but I mean, it was so beautiful. He literally put the gun away and apologized as he backed his way out of the bank. It was so beautiful. It's
0: like the African... Proverb, or what? I don't know if it's a proverb or not, but I'm sure you've heard it. If a if a child doesn't feel the warmth of the tribe, they'll they'll burn it down to feel the warmth. That's paraphrasing it. Wow! If a child doesn't feel love from the tribe, yeah, they'll burn it down to feel the warmth.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: I wonder how much of that the the ways that we act out and the ways that we're a dickhead or selfish or greedy or arrogant or pretentious or you know aggressive, any of that seems like most all of that is protecting some type of pain
1: yeah or trying to avoid that pain or trying to avoid yeah that pain. yeah that was, i mean that was most of my life i mean the the heroin addiction the crack the the um i mean you name it shoplifting i was addicted to shoplifting when i was a kid i was addicted to masturbating when i was a kid we didn't have computers so i can't say i was addicted to porn when i was a kid but i mean we certainly you know got the magazines or whatever and i was addicted to masturbating i was addicted to harming myself
0: um what does addicted to masturbating mean like 10 times a day guy what was going on
1: Mm five to seven times a day for me. I don't know what it meant for other people, but for me, it was like five to seven times a day. And and through most of my young adult life, definitely twice a day. I didn't even know you could take a shower without jacking <laughs> I, I really didn't. I thought that was just like part of you go to the bathroom, you jump in the shower, you pound your carrot, you throw a little conditioner in, and then and then you get out. Yeah. I didn't realize i was throwing away my life force i had no idea that i was throwing away my life force i had no idea that every time i quote unquote hooked up with another girl that i was sharing on some sort of cosmic level sharing my energy with that person and they were sharing that energy with me and that was sort of a, you know something that i never considered i i had no idea um and to be honest with you aaron I had no idea what intimacy was. I thought intimacy was being really good at making a girl have an orgasm. And I took a lot of pride in that. And I read a lot of, um, what were the magazines back then? Cosmopolitan and Vogue. And I would read all these like women's magazines where they would complain about what men weren't giving them because I was so invested in being an amazing lover. Not because I was giving and a good guy, but because the opposite. I was an asshole and super insecure, and I figured the girl was always gonna leave me anyway, so I always want her to remember me as the greatest lover she ever had. That's not intimacy. I thought that was intimacy. I thought being good at making a girl have an orgasm was intimacy. I didn't realize that intimacy can mean laying on a sofa next to somebody that you love with your cat or cats and watching some mind-numbingly stupid show and just laughing at how stupid the show was and eating popcorn and just appreciating the presence of another person in in such a way and then them appreciating you in such a way and then these like moments of com- like comfortable silence which i never you know i was always terrified of silence i always felt like i had to fill in the gaps because Actually, I don't know why. I was scared. I was scared of the silence, and now I have mostly because my girlfriend. Obviously, not because of me, because I never shut the fuck up. But she doesn't talk. She doesn't feel the need to talk. She doesn't understand the concept of small talk. No, it's about her. Yeah, she just doesn't talk. Um, and so it's, there. It's
0: nice. It, it's like relieving.
1: It's, it, it's amazing. It was very intimidating at first for somebody like me. Oh. Um, but we will have hours on vacation where there's no words spoken, that, in my world, is intimacy. That closeness is intimacy. Of course, there's sexuality still, and that's a very important part of a relationship, but the sexuality becomes 100x with the real intimacy as the foundation, as the bedrock that, that that sexuality is built on, that that relationship is built on.
0: So in relation to this conversation, some things that I was excited to talk about... Is it's you have very clear um, happenings in your life where it seems like there is opportunity for you to probably um, check out, abandon yourself, you know, kind of like a like an imprint, like Buddhist terms they call it a samskara. There's like like an imprint that that gets imposed upon a person when Mm -hmm. it's too much information to process, Mm -hmm. and then you've gone through this long journey of starting to unwind some of that and come into the person that you are. Can you, I know you already shared a lot of the stories, so I'm almost like apologetic for asking you to share, but can you kind of share a little bit about your history growing up, particularly like as a child?
1: Yeah, sure. I I'm an open book. I mean, obviously yeah. we don't have my book here, but, um, I very intentionally put that picture of myself on that book when everyone told me not to Neil Strauss, who I love and respect and who helped me edit that book said do not put that picture on there. it is way too polarizing it's gonna scare people away um everybody said don't don't use that picture um I intentionally use that picture because I don't know how much time I have left on this planet um, it's probably not a lot all things considered right so. I'm going to spend this time inspiring as many people as I can to, it sounds super cliched, and I guess it is, but to become better versions of themselves or to face the demons that they're scared to face. Um, I, I grew up in a rural town in Ohio with two immigrant parents. Mother was from Poland. Father was from Palestine. Mother was born a Jew. Father was born a Muslim, but was an atheist his whole life. Very, very angry, very, very violent man. There was tons of violence in my childhood. Um, there was incest, there was neglect. Um, the incest then became a sort of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because I learned at a very, very early age that the way that I get attention is by letting people do stuff to my body. So, um, That went on until I was 11. The last time it happened, it was with somebody who I really loved and looked up to and admired. Um, He was my hero. He was my swim coach. And um, he was tall and beautiful and, you know, tan. And he had the super hot girlfriend and a couple of cool kids and, like, just this guy, like, lackadaisical, like, you know, nothing seemed to bother him type of guy. And um, he wanted to take me camping. I had a very strong intuition that I shouldn't go. I begged my mom not to let me go, and my mom, not having boundaries and never protecting me when I was a child, um, encouraged him just to probably get me out of her hair because I was an impossible kid.
0: And you told her that you don't I, trust
1: him. Or no, no, no. Or... I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to articulate those feelings at that time. Um, especially with my mom, we just didn't have a good relationship and, um, and sure enough, you know, went camping and played out sort of exactly how I figured it was going to play out. And, and that was the last time I let anyone touch me. Um, I immediately shifted into lifting weights, like a maniac, um, practicing martial arts, um, and fighting and I'm not a good fighter. I'm not tough. But I would fight enough and I was little um, and fearless in the sense that I, I wasn't concerned about my own well-being or safety. So a lot of fights I lost, a lot of fights I won um, just from being bold enough to step up to guys that were much, much bigger than me. And a lot of fights I lost and got the living shit beat out of me. But after a while, I became you know pretty good at fighting and then always had this like real anger inside of me that um that would come out in bursts i would see red um first time i got kicked out of school was in eighth grade at st patrick's of heather downs where a kid like challenged me to a fight and punched me in the process of challenging me to a fight and i i blacked out and the next thing i knew i had like two lunch mothers on this arm and two lunch mothers on this arm and they were like restraining me and i looked and there's just fucking blood everywhere and it, it sounds much worse than it was. What happened was, in the process of fighting this kid, his head got hit the chalkboard ledge, and fuck, man, heads, foreheads, yeah, they bleed, and he bled out like a fucking stuck pig. And um, and I got kicked out of school and sort of had a reputation, but violent, um, highly sexualized. I started having sex, like intercourse sex, when I was twelve years old. Um, and then just couldn't get enough of that as, as I referenced earlier, you know, the masturbating, the shoplifting, the vandalism. I was arrested three times before the age of 16. Um, just a a, a shitty, shitty childhood and super confusing. And I wasn't one of those kids that didn't believe in God. I wholeheartedly believed in God. I just couldn't understand why God hated me. And why God would let all that shit happen to me. Because in my head, remember, my perception is my reality. In my head, everybody in fucking Toledo look like they're on the Brady bunch. Yep. Everyone's playing catch in the front yard, you know, with their dad. And I'm like thinking of how I could kill myself and who's gonna be at my funeral. So rough, rough childhood, ended up getting kicked out of three different schools, ended up dropping out of high school at 19 because I failed twice. So I got, I got held back twice. I guess held back is the nice way of saying it, but, um, I was 19 when I finally dropped out and was already living a life of crime and, um, working as well, working jobs, but my side hustle was doing bad shit for bad people.
0: And then during that time you were suffering, crippling anxiety.
1: Horrible. Yeah. To the point where it became agoraphobic. Um, I became agoraphobic, crippling anxiety, panic attacks. But remember, this is the 80s, so there was no talk of anxiety. Now everyone talks about fucking anxiety. Everybody talks about different modalities of healing. At that time, I was terrified to tell somebody about my panic attacks because I thought for sure they would lock me into a rubber room which they don't do that shit anymore. But back then it was very common to put people in straight jackets and put them into a rubber room. And that's what I thought was going to happen to me. So you can see how I'm setting the stage now for the binge drinking and then the weed and then the pills. And then ultimately the heavier the drugs got, the more the relief I initially found. And I I just took to it. I mean, eventually I left most everything behind and just went with the drugs because it was just such a fucking panacea for me
0: what were you experiencing one of the things i've ever heard you share is you would you would bite your is it your hand yeah as hard as you could as hard as
1: i could to make the panic attacks go away yeah what was that experience like it, well if you don't know you're having a panic attack and you start having a panic attack as a child it's it's the most terrifying thing you could ever experience um getting beaten or watching my mother getting beaten or having my much older half brother pin me down and doing shit to me against my will or allow you know, or inviting his friends to come do shit to me, whatever, you know, I mean, not, not whatever. Like, I mean, it's fucking horrible. And anybody that touches a child should be fucking shot. But the panic attacks were way worse than any of that stuff because I literally thought I was going crazy. So, um, Drinking at night because I had to sneak it. Obviously, I was 12, 13. Um, But during the day when no one was around, at first it was sort of just like kind of like doing different shit, like trying to figure out what was going on with my body. And then in an extreme moment of fear, I literally just like just bit down. And when the pain hit, the relief came.
0: You're getting opiates
1: getting yeah one thing yeah i know that now i didn't yeah i didn't know that at the time so um now you know i mean now i look back and it my heart breaks for that little kid like how scary that must have been it wasn't until i was 19 years old i was actually at a gym working out like a maniac upper body only this was ohio
0: yeah right and front of upper body exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) and um
1: (laughs) this guy walked up to me and, uh, and said, are you okay? Real handsome guy, real tan, really fit. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I was having a panic attack. Mm. And then he came up to me in the locker room and he was like, Hey, if you ever want to talk and I'm like, I'm not a fucking faggot. Okay. Wow. And he goes, relax. I'm a psychiatrist. My name's Dr. Tom Sherman. And I just want to give you my card if you ever need to talk. Thank God I took that fucking card because my suicidal ideation was building up to the point where I was like driving around the city, trying to find places where if I crashed, for sure I would die and not end up in a wheelchair, you know, for sure I would die and not end up killing somebody else. Like at that point, 19 was probably the apex of my suicidal ideation. And, and in a moment of real desperation, I ended up reaching out, got a secretary she just so, you know, he just so happened to have an opening that afternoon. And I went in and walked in and just was so fucking wound up. And I was just like, you know, you know, he's like, you know, why don't you have a seat? Let me know what's going on. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm I'm going, I'm going fucking crazy. I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. And he's like, okay, okay. I understand. Can you just explain to me what, what is happening? How are you going crazy? And I was like, I'm like, sometimes like it just feels like you know, like when you're rocking on a chair and all of a sudden the chair gives out and you go to fall backwards and like whatever. And he's just sitting there just looking at me totally calm. His calmness began to calm me down. And I'm like, I'm I'm going fucking crazy. Like this happens for no reason. Like I have heart attacks all the time, but I can't tell anybody, you know? And he's like, I understand anything else. And I told him everything, He literally pulled a fucking book off the shelf, opened it up, searched and then pointed and said, read that to me. And it was like textbook definition of panic attacks, you know, basically everything that I had just said to him. Mm. And the moment that I read that, I just looked up at him and I started crying and I'm like, so, so I'm not going crazy. And he's like, no, you're not going crazy. You had some things happen to you as a child. You weren't comfortable enough to process those feelings so you stuff them down inside of you. And now as you're getting older and as you're getting some separation um, and some autonomy and some independence, those feelings are now beginning to rise up. So it's not for no reason at all. This is not by accident. This is just your body processing things that happened to you as a kid. And I was like, I I, I didn't I didn't have anything happen to me when I was a kid. And he's like, you didn't have anything happen to you? I was, and I'm like, no. And he goes, how, you know, how was your home life? And then Slowly but surely, as I began to explain to him, I didn't tell him about the sexual abuse, but I told him about my father being a rageaholic. I told him about my father beating my mom, you know, to within an inch of her life. I told him about. I told him about my brother, and I think he put two and two together because I, I like describing him as an evil, evil, sadistic motherfucker. Um, I think he got it, and he handed me. Uh, a package of Xanax, not a bottle of Xanax. He handed me these samples of Xanax. And he said, if you ever start to feel that feeling again, I want you to crack, crack one of these open. I don't know what you call those things. or are like foil-backed, you know. Mm. And um, and I said, in what? He goes, it'll go away immediately. I'm like, this is going to make that feeling go away. He goes, 100%. You take that and within 15 minutes, you will not feel that anymore. Here's a crazy thing. I never opened them. I never had to open them. You had empowerment because you knew you had a solution. Yes. And I knew that ultimately there was nothing wrong with me. And just as he said, as I got older and I got more independence, more autonomy, um, stronger, you know, whatever, uh, more supported, that those feelings would dissipate almost entirely. And I think the last time I had a panic attack was on a plane with, do you know Elijah? Do you know Elijah Blue?
0: Not well, we've been around
1: each other. But okay, no, so there. I was on a plane with Elijah Blue. We were flying with his mom to Vegas because she had a residency there and it was my first time on a private jet. And I was super nervous because I had met Cher a few times, but I didn't like know her. And remember, I'm from Ohio. I'm not like from New York or California where being around famous people is, is normal. I was freaking the fuck out and the plane hit turbulence and hit an air pocket and dropped like, I don't know how many feet, but, and I completely lost my shit and had a horrific panic attack. I was probably, I was probably 37, 38 years old. And, um, but other than that, for the most part, those panic attacks never came back
0: to take a moment and share the morning ritual that I've stuck with for the last year. That is crawling out of bed, walking to the kitchen and pouring myself a glass of a G one. I learned about this originally from Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's been drinking this stuff for the last decade or so. And I am also a massive fan of the product. Why I like it is it blends several different supplements that I would take anyway. So it is a probiotic and prebiotic as well as a multivitamin and also a mineral supplement. It is the highest sourced ingredients. It tastes absolutely delicious. I notice a measurable change in my energy and my mood and it is a gratifying sensation to know that I'm starting the day by covering my micronutrient baselines. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a great time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase to get this all you got to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash align that's athleticgreen com slash align i'm incredibly confident you guys are going to love this stuff go check it out athleticgreens.com slash align there's a couple things that stand out the one in um like a neuro science perspective there's been lots of research around people just labeling emotions significantly down regulates the amygdala specifically or just like the fear center centers in the brain so if you're in a situation like that where it just feels like this unidentified sensation that compared to just placing a label on the thing immediately starts to just calm things down because it it creates some semblance of control Mm. The other thing that's interesting with that is a similar thing happens in hospital settings when um, patients are given access to be able to control the painkillers mm-hmm. compared to like, be able to like press the button or whatever, you know, however, right. however or they can, they can call the, the nurse yeah. or whatever, whatever compared to, okay, you'll get one at three o'clock each day. Mm. If a person has control to be able to control the pain, yeah. they need much less painkiller. Makes perfect sense. Because they have that sensation of empowerment. Okay. It's like, oh, yeah. everything starts to oh, calm makes down. perfect sense and it's interesting how much of your childhood was really about um being out of control yeah
1: you know, and vulnerable and, and vulnerable yeah
0: and almost like being stripped of that 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 control or that sensation of
1: um safety yeah it's sad it was um and
0: we'll get to like some happy stuff too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, want, yeah. Sorry, to, everybody. Like, <laughs> no, no it, I think it's interesting. I'm like really because these are the things that people don't talk about, and I almost feel in the beginning I felt apologetic asking about it, but now as we're in it, I'm like, oh man, I'm so grateful that you're sharing this because I think yeah. it's so invaluable.
1: Any anything I can do to help anybody in this sense? Like, what's frustrating for me is getting DMs every day. Like, I'm having a really tough time, and I don't know what to do about this. It's like, dude, I've done a hundred podcasts, and I wrote two books. Like, please. Just be a little resourceful, go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Any anything that I could possibly help you with is either in one of those two books or it's on a podcast somewhere. Yeah. So I love this stuff. I love getting to lay it all out there because I think about death a lot. I think about when I was a little kid, you know summer was everything for me. Life in the sun was was everything. that was my solace mm. pun intended. That was my life in the sun, sun life. Um, the only place that I could find shelter from the storm of the fucking horrible shit that was happening in my life was at the snack bar at Laurel Hills Swim and Tennis Country Club, which was in my backyard. And I used to jump the fence and, um, I, I would spend the entire summer in my little speedo barefoot and just bronzed and in living in the sun, playing in the Creek, playing in the woods, playing with the minnows. And, there'd be five bucks on the table every day and I would go to the snack bar. $5 was a lot of money back then. Um, but i would go to the snack bar and I would get my corn dogs and i would get my slushies serpies, or, you know, whatever I would get my, my hamburgers, cheeseburgers. And, um, uh, more importantly, it, a lot of the local kids that was their first job and that was their summer job. Right. So they were stoked. They were happy. And, uh, I didn't realize like how sad and broken and lost I must have looked, but everybody that worked in that snack bar loved me and loved me up and took care of me, and especially the women. Um, the women would always look out for me because I think intuitively, women just know shit. Mm-hmm. And um, like the first concert I went to, which was Ozzy Osbourne when Randy Rhodes was still alive. Um, if anyone's old enough to get that reference was one of the girls that worked behind the snack bar, this girl named Kim and she was like 16, I was 11 and she took me to Toledo sports arena to see Ozzy Osbourne. And it was moments like that, that, that got me through that childhood. And I loved that snack bar. And I went there every day and I would get my little comfort foods there and. It's just it's just so beautiful that that was my lighthouse in the storm. Now, fast forward, you know, forty years later, and I'm in the midst of a a plant medicine ceremony, and I'm kind of looking at me as a whole and what's right with me, what's wrong with me, where I've been wrong in the past. You know, my inappropriate joking and 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 saying things that are offensive and not having a filter, and I saw the snack bar. And I started crying, I'm like, oh my God. And I saw the faces and I could see the concerns now on their faces for this poor little lost boy that has nowhere to go and no one there to love him and no one there to take care of him. And I could see how these these young guys and gals cared for me and, and were almost like transmuting love to me through that food. And then all of a sudden in the journey, turned into Sun Life right in front of my eyes and I completely lost my shit I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god I recreated my lighthouse in the storm as an adult when I finally had the money I recreated that sacred holy place that's my church that's my temple that's my mosque and um, it's amazing it, it's truly, truly amazing. The journey is so amazing. I wouldn't wish the pain and suffering I went through on anyone, but without that pain and suffering, I couldn't do what I do. I mean, there are people that hate me that go to Sun Life every day. Literally can't stand the sight of me. I make their skin crawl and they go to Sun Life every day because in some way they're getting the same thing. They're going in there and they're getting that sense of community and they're getting that nourishment. And I, I could go on and on, but I'm just i'm really happy it's sad to talk about all this stuff but it's also really awesome because it proves that all of us are alchemists. it's not the gold the gold is a metaphor it's the turning the darkness into the light and we all are capable of that
0: yeah it feels like the like the pain is like fuel you know, yeah. Like, like the greater the pain, the greater the gift or greater, yeah. greater potential gift. Yeah. If you have the resources and the mentorship and the fortitude to like make it through to the other side. Yes. Like a chrysalis. Yes. Yeah, like I've had,
1: pretty- I've had a ton of help and that's why, you know, you, you mentioned the chrysalis. That's why if you look at in each Sun Life store, there's usually a Sage Vaughn painting or a Sage Vaughn surfboard with the butterflies on it. If you look at the new sweatshirts, they have the butterflies all over them because, I was the ugly caterpillar crawling on my belly looking up at these beautiful butterflies going, fuck man, if I could just, if I could just be like that, like that would be so amazing. Not realizing the entire time that I am that, but in order to become that fully to become like I'm supposed to be, I have to be willing to go inside. I have to be willing to learn to sit still alone by myself. And face who i am and what i am and eventually through a practice of meditation or chanting or both or breathing um thank you then eventually i i create my own chrysalis i create my own cocoon and then i can truly fully develop i mean this stuff's cool you know, the biceps. And now for the first time ever, I'm training my legs at 53 years old. Nice. <laughs> well, for two years now, I've been doing legs and I didn't realize how, how important that was. Probably more important than anything, actually.
0: It creates like a sensation of confidence. Yeah. It's also the greatest indicator of longevity, that and, and grip strength.
1: I love that. Yeah. So this stuff's great, but this stuff, I'm pointing inward if you can't see me. This stuff is is the the real power, the real magic. And, and it's so... I I truly believe that addiction is a superpower if you switch the ingredients and if you switch your intentions.
0: They're like digging a well. Yeah. And the well could just be like, look like a dark, terrible hole that you could fall into and potentially break your legs. Or it could be something that you gather nourishing food from and it becomes like a a, a resource to feed the community. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm excited for you to do the, uh, to do the, um, greens powder i'm excited for you to try well you're drinking the matcha now so good thank you
0: yeah um and i want to talk about all that stuff um as well i want to get to like the point of like the butterfly yeah moments yeah yeah um but so within that maybe taking a break from all of the the kind of gnarly stuff that you've been through a, a term that i came up with a few days ago maybe corny or stupid, but it was like after doing a therapy session and it felt as though we were doing some type of like reconnaissance of my, my soul mm. in a way. And the therapist, I call him therapist, Michael, he, he kind of guides me into my subconscious. We do kind of like close my eyes and he just has me observe whatever sensation I'm feeling anxiety. I'm mm. feeling whatever the thing I'm feeling like a reaching yeah, kind of sensation. I can't, I can't ever get enough kind yeah, of sensation. And he kind of says, okay, let's just, you know, sit back you know, close your eyes and just, you know, breathe and just kind of notice if any kind of messages or anything comes up around that, that feeling, just like, where do you feel it in your body and just guiding me into it. And as we do that, pretty much almost a hundred percent of the sessions that we've done at some point, a switch gets flipped and I go into tremorous, like convulsive, like ugly face mm-hmm. crying tears. Mm-hmm. And it's like the deepest, oldest, shame, guilt, fear, pain yeah. from 30 years ago, yeah. 20 years ago, et cetera. And it's very different than like crying from an onion or something. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's yeah. almost like a shamanic ayahuasca type experience yeah. if you yeah. allow yourself to move into the subconscious. But for most part we're, we are we're filled with such a noisy world and we're so like in our like thinking brain and talking brain, Yeah, there's not a lot of spaciousness or invitation or availability or know how to get into those places to allow that internal healing stuff to start yeah. to happen that was a lot of words how would you recommend a person begin a process of kind of getting into some of like the frozen parts that they may have within themselves that they don't even necessarily realize they do well if that makes sense it, it
1: makes perfect sense and i would I, I will go back to my own personal experience where i'm doing you know I, through desperation i raised my hand I, I joined the winning team i went to treatment i went to a halfway house i was indigent indigent however you pronounce the word I, you know i was homeless i couldn't afford anything i couldn't afford you know food so i was dependent on people so i spent years in my early recovery crashing at people's houses um doing odd jobs you know here and there um so i didn't i didn't have resources. now i have resources and it's funny because what you do i don't know if you do that weekly mm-hmm. yeah i do every wednesday uh, 3 p.m. I've been doing it for two years since I moved to Austin. I've been working with somebody. That's great. Um, I've also integrated some uh, ketamine-assisted therapy, mm. and uh, a few times I've also done some, um, I guess you would call it Hape. It's a spray that Dr. John yeah. Lawrence makes that, that yeah. CBG. Like oxytocin. Yes, and yes, yes. Yeah. So I've brought that in as well. But going back to when I couldn't afford fancy healers in Austin, Texas and Dr. John Laurent's $80 fucking hot base spray. um, I was working at a rehab and I was sort of the minder, the babysitter for a very wealthy female client. And I was trying to get her to do anything other than leave or get high. And she wanted to do yoga. So I signed us up for yoga classes at Uh, I think it was just called Malibu Yoga back then. Um, Eventually, I'm the founder of Malibu Beach Yoga, but many, many years ago, 18 years ago, I signed us up for a couple classes at Malibu Yoga, and I was waiting out front. I was waiting for the client to get dropped off. She had car service take her everywhere. And I was smoking. And this woman walks by who was like, to this day, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. And she was walking up the stairs to go to the yoga studio. And so I literally just threw the cigarette down, went after her. And when I walked in, she she was behind the desk and she's like, are you taking the class today? And I'm like, oh yeah. And she goes, okay, have you done yoga before? I'm like, oh yeah, love yoga, <laughs> which completely full of shit. Um, wearing masks, people pleasing, whatever. And, uh, and she goes, okay, I just want to let you know it. It is a level two, three, it's going to be pretty challenging. And I'm like, I I'm yeah, cool. I'm, I'm ready. The client never showed up. She went and got her hair done. I think at Bernie Sapphire salon. And, uh, I went in, it was like five people in the class. She gave me a yoga mat and I got about 10 15 minutes into this very intense level two three ashtanga yoga class lydia the woman that was behind the desk was the teacher later i found out she was part of the canadian royal ballet troupe i mean she was just this goddess amazing ballerina slash yoga teacher and um about 10 15 minutes into the class i was like shaking so bad and sweating so profusely that she came over and I was doing, I guess, upward dog and she goes, go down into child's pose. And I just like collapsed and slid into child's pose because my mat was soaking wet and she had her hand on my back and she said, just stay. I want you to stay here and eventually I want you to roll over and lay on your back for the rest of the class and just breathe. And it was so humbling, but it was so powerful because she was so powerful And I laid there panting and fighting, like biting my lip, fighting to not cry because she brought me into that place that you're talking about. And I went back religiously to every class she taught. I was obsessed with her. Um, We became friends eventually, and I know her kids, I know her ex-husband. But it was about four or five classes later where I was in pigeon pose for the first time. It was very, very challenging for me to get into, and she had to bring blocks over for me, and it was in that pigeon pose that I broke, that the dam broke, and I was shaking and convulsing, and I started crying, but this time I couldn't fight the tears, and she came over, and she placed her hand on me again, and oh my God, I I just was a puddle. But at the end of the class, I waited until everyone left, because I didn't want people to see me. You know, I'm not a pretty crier. Um... At the end of the class, I got up and I felt like ten thousand pounds had been lifted from me.
0: Is anybody a pretty crier?
1: Yeah, there's a few people. <laughs> there's a few people. Um, I think e- e- Emmanuel uh, Biart. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. She was a French actress. She was a, a beautiful crier. There's I, a few out
0: there. Crying's one of the most beautiful expressions.
1: It is, but as men, we're conditioned to not do it. You know, you're a you're a pussy if you cry, or you're weak if you cry. Um, I cry all the time
0: now. The funny thing is it's only hurt weak people that have that perception.
1: It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like my dad. Mm. Yeah. It's funny
0: how those voices from the the hurt kind of masked people somehow still permeate a cultural zeitgeist or at least like, like the subconscious belief system. Like, Oh yeah. If you cry, yeah, you're like a weak pussy or whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think most of the world is actually like, no, like not at all. Yeah. But there's still this subconscious kind of uh, iteration do, I, of mind of like, I, Oh no, it's not okay. But most anybody that's respectable is like, no, it's the most beautiful thing. Like, please.
1: Yeah. I want more. I don't, I don't cry every week now because it's we've been doing this for two years. And Kimmy, who's the least judgmental, most remarkable healer in the world, and I've seen a plethora of healers, especially back living in Malibu um, and owning Riviera Recovery in Malibu Beach Yoga, Like I met a lot of quote-unquote healers and cranial sacral this and that. Um, as amazing as Kimmy is, as, as beautiful as she is, as non as she is, there's still not a time where i cry where i'm not a little bit embarrassed help me too yeah because you're right it's not it's not the type of crying where i cry at the end of the movie like at the end of cinema paradiso you know i always cry at the end of cinema paradiso if anyone hasn't seen that movie especially if you're well but specifically if you're a man you should definitely watch the movie cinema paradiso um it's not that type of crying you know Mm -hmm. where you can just kind of go like that it's the the, you know making the noises and shaking and the snot bubbles and all that that's what happens in my sessions with kimmy and it's so cathartic and it's so beautiful but i will literally be driving there sometimes like i'm not gonna fucking cry not crying today man (laughs) we're gonna talk about happy shit today and i get there and she'll like touch my neck and i'm like ah
0: what do you think it is about that moment of being in this process that you know is so good for you while also simultaneously running this like shame voice around at the same time i mean it's all ego
1: everything's ego i mean i don't know i i like i am constantly suffering under the oppressive weight of my unyielding wielding uh ego it's all ego it's fucking stupid who cares I mean, it, it makes no difference at all. If I started crying right now, you're not gonna not like me. I mean, you don't even know me. Um, forgot your name, Jessica, Jessica. Yeah. But it's not like Jessica's going to be like, Hey, don't fucking invite that guy back. (laughs) But I still, when I was talking about Sun Life Organics being that snack bar and that lighthouse in the storm for me, I had to fight not to start crying and and out of fear that it would turn into one of those types of cries i've cried on like justin donald uh i cried on his podcast i think i cried during cal's podcast and i always leave going what the fuck is wrong with you and yet i get messages from you know dms from people from all over the world like man i was so moved by that that was so awesome thank you for your honesty and your transparency like it's it's fucking ego it's stupid
0: what's challenging for you presently do you still have i'm sure you do i mean i think I, I, like i've heard like Ram Dass talk about he, he hasn't lost a single neurosis that he's had throughout his life they just become a little smaller a little more manageable and he like can invite them in for tea and hang out with them and observe them compared to being completely overrun by these monsters
1: i'm just i'm just really weird i'm i'm extremely weird and i'm 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 usually mischaracterized as an extrovert and I am extremely introverted. Um, How long have we been trying to do this podcast?
0: Oh, I don't know. Probably years.
1: Years. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we talked about it outside (laughs) Belcampo, if I remember correctly, which was three years ago, maybe longer. Um, I'm weird. I'm introverted. I really, really love to be alone. I love spending time with my cats. I love spending time with my girlfriend. Um, I... I mean, this week, I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same shit, which is like every single day. Like, dude, what's up? South by Southwest. What events are you hitting? I'm like, none. And then people laugh. Like, no, really? What events are you hitting? I'm like, none. Oh, there's this amazing one here and amazing one there. And I can get you on the list here. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to go. I, I've been invited to some of the top coolest, all the cool kids, the famous people, the whatever going on over the next couple of weeks. I will not attend one of them. I can't stand it i don't i don't want to do that that's not fun for me um there's an ongoing i'm not gonna i'm gonna do my best not to be a fucking la name dropping douchebag but there's one party in la that happens every single year and it's the most it's the hardest party to get into and it's held by two very famous people and everybody wants to go but you can't go because it's mostly famous people and then if you're lucky enough to feed some of those people smoothies you might get invited as well. And the first year I got invited, I was beaming for weeks. I didn't go. Um, and then the next year I got invited and the husband actually texted me, hope you can make it. And I didn't go. And then he texted me a couple of days later and said, what happened? How come you weren't there? Super flattered that he noticed that I wasn't there, but I was just really honest with him. Like, I don't want to go to parties ever. I don't want to go to networking events ever. Um, And he said, why? I think he was kind of like, you know, this is the best party ever. It's my party. Why don't you want to come to my party? And I just said, please understand that I'm so flattered and I'm, I'm so hyped that you would even consider me. And please don't ever stop inviting me but I'm never going to go. And he got it. And they continue to this day to invite me. I get an invitation every year to go to this party. And I'm just weird. I want to be in my pajamas at seven o'clock. I want to be asleep at nine o'clock. What do I struggle with? I'm, I'm like doing manscaping before the woman who comes to my house to cut my hair. And I'm watching myself going through this motion as if she's going to notice that i didn't do my manscaping but (laughs) every two weeks without fail not that i do manscaping every two weeks i'm middle eastern i have to do it you know almost daily i spend like 45 minutes a morning removing my body hair i'll
0: probably manscape after this
1: yeah so why why (laughs) like what the fuck you're a grown man you're 53 years old why are you shaving your balls before your (laughs) hair person comes over to cut your hair who's never going to see your balls um i'm highly self-conscious incredibly insecure and awkward and weird and now that i'm here i don't want it to ever end i fucking love this but every time you would say do you have any time coming up i would just be like oh god oh god oh god you know like and it's not you it's it's everyone even the skinny confidential which put me on the map the skinny confidential lauren bostic in particular She sold more books for me that first podcast I did with her than the fucking New York Times. I got featured on the front page of the New York Times Sunday edition, literally half a page picture of me talking about my book, sold a few thousand books. Did Lauren's podcast sold, I mean, sold out, sold out on Amazon. Like she has that much power. I've been on three times. But every time they start talking about like, yeah, we should have you on the pot again. I go into this super uncomfortable, fearful place of people don't want to hear me. I talk too much. I don't have a filter. I'm going to offend somebody or I'll go into a place of paranoia. Like in the, in today's day and age, in the world of cancel culture, like you can't say a fucking thing without triggering somebody. Mm. So, um, what do I struggle with today? I struggle with everything. Um, but in a much In a much less consuming way, like it definitely takes up a part of my day, but I can recognize now how neurotic I am and I can recognize how weird I am and I can say to people. To their face like you know hey we're having this amazing event on thursday you got this just happened yesterday we're having this amazing event on thursday you got to come by so and so and so and so and so and so is going to be there as much as i would love to meet so and so and so and so as much as the insecure part of me would love to get a selfie with those people so i can show people on instagram how cool i am people who don't give a fuck whether i live or die and will turn on me the moment there's a crisis um as much as i would like to do that i just literally said like oh yeah no and the guy's like, what do you mean? No, like, this is the thing. This is the event of, and I'm like, I get it and I love you and I'm happy to see you and you can bring your friends by and I'm happy to treat them to a smoothie or an acai bowl, but like, I'm not going to go. So I'm fucking weird and, and insecure and shallow and, uh, can have a short fuse and, um, think about and struggle with the shit that probably a lot of us think about, like, the futility of our existence which can be really challenging to look at or the vastness of our existence because just as much as i believe that like fuck we blink and it's all over there's another part of me that's like no we blink and this is never over this never started this never ends this is just one continuous figure eight it's forever so With that realization comes an overwhelming sense of responsibility that I have to be a good person. I have to be the best person I can be. And I'm obviously challenged.
0: Can you share about your relationship with your mom and particularly like a transition that you had with her when you were in your, I think you were like 30 mid 30s 30, 34 mm-hmm. or something like that she developed cancer
1: yeah horrible relationship with my mom my whole life my mom didn't protect me in particularly from her son who was eight years older than me but a lot of other shit the swim coach and a lot of other bad shit that happened to me always resented my mother for being weak and not standing up to my father and allowing him to continuously beat her and degrade her um she did the best that she could she would she and she did a terrible job and she didn't love me. Um, and that's not I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to garner some sympathy from one of your listeners, but like my mom didn't love me. She wasn't capable of loving me. I thought because I was unlovable, not true. After a bunch of work, I learned that I am lovable. It's just that my mom wasn't capable of loving me. Um, so I'm 35 years old. I'm a couple, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm 34 years old. I'm eight months sober. I got a phone call from my mom. She told me in a very weak, scared voice that she had cancer. Um, I didn't have any money to send her. In fact, I didn't even have money to go visit her. And I went home that night and, um, I, I pounded on my legs, punched myself in my legs over and over and over again. Um, which is something that I do rarely, but, um, during times like that where I just feel like such an absolute piece of shit, it's just kind of like it makes sense to me to just harm myself and hurt myself and eventually it starts to go numb and it sort of lets out that aggression a little bit and and numbs me, probably releases some dopamine and serotonin, maybe, I don't know, but I was punching myself in my legs and I'm screaming and I'm crying, you're a piece of shit, you're a fucking loser, you're a piece of shit, how could you fucking let your life end up like this? I made a vow to myself that I would never be poor again and that I would be able to take care of my mom, and uh, if she lived, if she survived, and that I would be able to take care of anybody that I cared for at some point. And um, and the next the next day, I just I just got up and I went to work, and I got a job, and then I got a second job, and I got a third job, and I got a fourth job, and I took any odd and odds and ends jobs that I could get. And um, within two years, I was able to fly back to Ohio and put a down payment on a beautiful house for my mom in the nicest neighborhood in our city. And it was the greatest moment of my life, and it was the greatest accomplishment of my life. And I took over all of her bills. I got her to retire, and I began taking care of her. You, like, mothered her. I mothered her. In the
0: way that she wasn't able to mother you.
1: I gave my mom the love that I so desperately needed that I didn't get. And what I didn't know was in the process of giving her that love, I released myself from the prison of not receiving that love. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And we had a, it was neat. The last 17 years of her life was neat. It was uh, not always, you know, she complained a lot. Didn't matter what I did or what jewelry I bought her or what vacations I sent her on or, you know, what, how much money I would send her. She still had the ability to just complain about a lot of shit. But um, there, was, there was some great moments. There were some moments where she said, I'm so proud of you and look at all that you've accomplished. And she gave me something that I thought my dad was going to give me. And I did the same with him. I spoiled the shit out of him and flew him out and bought him a Mercedes and like did all this shit. And he never gave it to me. He never could just give me that like wow son i'm proud of you or like wow you really did it my father was very very jealous of my success and um and it's sad and eventually about eight years ago i stopped speaking to him i just drew a boundary and i said this is it i love you but please don't contact me ever again because every time he called he wanted more money or he wanted to complain about something and i'm just not willing to allow that in my space anymore but my mom i took care of until the day that she died and um I still feel like she's very much with me and I built a shrine to her at my house. I have her first communion picture and um, her thing of Jesus. My mom loved Jesus. My mom was a Jew, but she was raised Catholic. So she loved Jesus and my mom loved turtles and fish. So I built this pond with a little waterfall and it's got turtles in it. And, uh, and there's a statue of an angel which represents her. And so I go out every morning and I, and I spend time with her and I visit with her and, um it's it's cool i feel like she's with me i feel like i feel like she's proud of me and she's watching all of this Mm. yeah it's neat my dad my dad's still alive and he's not part of any of it maybe when he dies i'll have a little bit of that i don't know but that's that's not for me to figure out
0: want to take a moment and share a free resource with y'all to sort out your movement. That is starting the first free week of the Align Method online program, where you get a thorough movement assessment to establish what is your personal movement baseline. And then on top of that, we share fundamental mobility techniques that will make a massive difference in your own personal practice. If you do any type of stretching or yoga or foam rolling or resistance band training or training in general, you want to get the most out of your body. These are must-know mobility techniques and then it finishes with a sit rise challenge so you can test yourself and see how effectively you get up and down off of the ground that is the first week of the align method online program it's a six-week program you can start the first week at alignpodcast.com slash a m p and with that you will also join the free align community where there's over three thousand other members in there so i pop in there each day totally free the first week is totally free and then if you don't love the idea of continue on with the six-week program then you can cancel anytime so check us out over at alignpodcast.com a m p wow the it's it's pretty impressive technology that exists of being able to um instill some of the what you didn't receive from your primary caregivers within yourself like self-mothering self-fathering being able to communicate to yourself at age 5 or 10 or 13 have you had experiences of of specifically talking to the Ten-year-old version of yourself, I think, is how old you were when the the swimming coach was was yeah, doing whatever it was. Doing. Yeah, eleven. Yeah, have you had specific um, experiences like communicating to that boy
1: on a weekly basis? That's what that's pre- predominantly that's what Kimmy and I do on mm-hmm. a weekly basis, and some of it is fun and laughter, but a lot of it is the ugly. What do you say crying. to that boy? What do I say to him?
0: Yeah. Or what do you, what do you extend to that boy feeling? Do you extend to that boy or what? This, uh, I, I grab like? him.
1: I grab him and I hug him. He's usually dirty. So I clean him with water. Um, I hold him and, uh and I tell him it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Like you, like you're good. Look at, look at us. Look at what we did. Look at what we did. We won. We did it. Look at it. Come here. I'm going to show you our house. I'm going to show you the beautiful woman that we're with now. I'm going to show you the fancy car that we now drive. I'm going to show you the book. I'm going to show you all the messages from all the people from all around the world that we're able to help now. Like that, that, that little voice inside of your heart that told you that you were special and that you were going to do great things. We need to take that little spark that little ember and we need to blow on that together now and we need to turn that into a flame and eventually that flame is going to catch into a fire and eventually that fire is going to burst into just the most beautiful glorious raging campfire you've ever seen and it will warm you and it will warm others and um i just always take him there and i and i hold him and i show him where we are now and kimmy always asks me do you does he want to stay where he is or does he want to come back sometimes he wants to stay and most of the time he wants to come back with me so i take that little boy with me and i carry him around and i think people can see it i think people if you're willing to get that like i'm going to use the word weird for lack of a better term but if you're willing to go there as a grown man as an old man if you're willing to do deep deep inner child work people can see it in you and they really appreciate it and it's 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 really special i tell him i love him
0: does the boy ever have resistance or distrust Mm. what's that like
1: it's frustrating for me because i can feel exactly what he's feeling especially during the ketamine assisted therapy sessions i could feel his distrust of anything of god of anything and. It took a lot of me very calmly talking and saying, you know, it's going to be okay. You're okay. You're safe. You're going to make it through everything. You're going to go through some really fucking tough times. So put your seatbelt on, but you're going to come out of those tough times. So, um, yeah, inner child work is incredibly rewarding, but it involves a lot of tears and um, and a lot of willing suspension of disbelief, right? Because your ego wants to tell you like, oh, this is fucking stupid. You're talking to your five-year-old <laughs> self, right? Try telling that to my dad, you know, or try telling <laughs> that to like anybody from that generation, you know, oh, dad, I, you know, on Wednesday, I'm gonna go do some deep inner child work and I'm gonna talk to my seven-year-old self, you know, um, about pushing over the Christmas tree in Mrs. Boninstead's class. Like, you know, what was that? Why? Why did I get up? I just unprompted, why did I get up and walk to the front of the class and push the fucking tree over in front of the nun who was running the class who had just given us a lecture about, you are not to touch the tree, you are not to touch the ornaments, you are not to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I I let her finish talking and I just stood up (laughs) and I walked to the front of the class and I shoved the entire tree down and the ornaments shattered all over the floor. Like, what the fuck was that? Well, what that was, was a child dying on the inside it was a child that wasn't seen and wasn't acknowledged and wasn't loved and you know highly controversial subject i will broach it delicately and carefully and then get back out of it but in my in my journey in when i did a plant medicine ceremony in like three day very intense
0: ayahuasca or what
1: different things different yeah um very intense Um, I actually went and, and spoke to my mother, like, spoke to my mother's soul Mm -hmm. and said, like, like, why didn't you love me? How could you not? Like, I was your child. Like, why didn't you love me? And my mom showed me why she showed me what my dad was doing. I mean, I saw a lot of it, but as a selfish King baby ego of a little boy, The beatings were like, whatever. Okay, so you're getting beating, but fucking love me. Take care of me. Protect me. Well, you can't. If you're a frail little Polish woman, five foot two Polish woman, and this violent, crazy man, rageful, angry, jealous man is literally giving you hospital beatings for nothing. You can't love the child that's in the corner crying. You can't because you're fearing for your own life and trying to protect your own life.
0: Yeah, your own emotional needs aren't met.
1: Yeah. And I get to see all that stuff when I do when I do this work. I would suggest it for anybody um and it it's the best shit ever. <laughs> it really really is. It's so great. Like I get invited to all these, you know, plant medicine ceremonies now. I mean, we're in Austin. Every fucking weekend is a yeah plant medicine plant medicine we're gonna be in ceremony we're gonna talk to the guides and like at a certain point guys you're just doing drugs you know (laughs) like i'm not telling anyone not to do a plant medicine ceremony but like after you've done one or maybe a couple once your questions are answered stop asking questions yeah you know otherwise you're you're coming from personal experience like i didn't do a plant medicine ceremony until i was 17 years clean and sober and more importantly I didn't even dare contemplate doing a plant medicine ceremony until I 1,000% had zero inclination to escape from my reality, Hmm. zero. Hmm. Dream business, book successful, amazing relationship, house is paid for, car is paid for, Maslow hierarchy is met. And I get to go into those other parts of the pyramid towards the top. If that's your reality, by all means, take the risk. But if you're newly sober and you're struggling to pay your bills or you have a bunch of unresolved shit going on in your life, man, I would never suggest anybody fuck around with that stuff unless they are super, super solid. Um, What's your name? Ruby. Ruby. Ruby that wrote the book, um uh Ruby's an amazing author, and I can't believe I can't think of the book or her name. But she said the other day, like, if you're asking people how do you know when you're ready to do a plant medicine ceremony, you're not ready. Yeah, right? That- if you're questioning it, be be mindful of that. If you're in if you're in a place of total peace and you've you've really come to a place where you love where you're at, if there's still some gnawing unresolved issues, some, some anxiety, some anxiousness built up here, if there's some maybe issues with sleeping or, or whatever it may be, then yeah, then explore different modalities of healing. I I think you went through
0: some time with cannabis where you went kind of a little like schizo from it a bit or that, was that was that was my complaining no, that with somebody else
1: no cannabis when i was drinking and using yeah i went schizo from it i fucking hate yeah thc
0: so but, so I, th- I think with with psychedelics which i definitely am not like you know an expert on by any means so please you know whatever don't take my advice in anything related to this but I, th- I feel like a person who has a strong anchorage or anchor within themselves mm-hmm. and they have a strong robust like ego self yeah then it's, I think it perhaps makes more sense for that person to go into a place where you take your luggage and you pour all of the luggage out on the floor mm-hmm. and then you reintegrate it and repack it and put it back together. Yeah. But if you're a person that's already pretty unhinged and like disassembled, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, but I would be more leery yeah at that
1: point i don't i mean it's not something that i don't think anybody can give advice on because it's such a contra i mean i shouldn't have even brought it up because i'm sure somebody will attack me online for even ad- admitting to no, it I but so. it, there, there, it, it's it's my reality it's my experience you know uh is the aa police you know gonna kick me out of aa or 12-step programs or whatever oh, okay great
0: oh right yeah they've got like yeah. a little dogmatic. whatever
1: uh, what like this is my life this is my dance
0: if you were with yourself, do you remember like like the deepest, darkest time of, was meth your drug?
1: No, heroin? Um, heroin and cocaine mixed together intravenously was my go-to, that was my, what I wanted more than anything. Now, that didn't mean I didn't drink, that didn't mean I wouldn't smoke some meth or shoot some meth, but if I had my choice, which I almost always did, I was very resourceful. Mm. Um, even when I was homeless, I was very resourceful. I was an amazing panhandler um it would always be heroin and and cocaine mixed together and shot
0: that sounds like that feels pretty good
1: it felt great yeah it felt amazing it was the it it was the ultimate high there's nothing I think even if you look at from a, a pharmacological or whatever the right word is point of view I don't think there's any way to get higher amounts of dopamine and serotonin in your system unfortunately it also speeds your heart up and slows your heart down at the same time and it's a really great way to die wow. there's a lot of people that try speedballs once and die and 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 never come back how would you administer it ivy mm. yeah anywhere
0: anywhere how long what's the sensation like how does it come on
1: like a fucking freight train, like the biggest roller coaster going down the biggest roller coaster you've ever gone down in your life while having an orgasm at the same time. Um and then there's the come down, which is the worst fucking shit you'll ever go through and um eventually it it works less and less and less and less and you're always chasing that high and um at a certain point it whatever it is takes your soul it takes your soul without your consent and it doesn't give it back and you're fucked and uh and then the seizures and then the overdoses and then the jails and then the institutions and the 5150s and the self-harm and um potentially hepatitis C HIV how I escaped that fate I have no fucking idea
0: what does what does it it's probably would be figurative but what does the drug what do the dr- drugs do with your soul so it takes the, it so said it takes your soul.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, everything is, is the, is the, is the light and the darkness, right? And, and the light is the, the creator and the darkness is the absence of the creator. It takes, it takes your soul to the absence. Um,
0: where do you think the soul is during that time frame? Is it just, I know it's a, a very like metaphysical kind of, might be like an ineffable type of non question.
1: It's not, it, I've never been hijacked before, although I have been held at gunpoint, but it's like being held at gunpoint, getting hijacked. Like your soul's gone. You don't don't have access or control of it anymore. Um, And it's a scary, scary fucking place to be.
0: What is the soul to you?
1: The soul is who we actually are, what is inhabiting these meat suits right now. Our actual true essence, our eternal essence, I believe, is our soul and to take that for granted and to fuck with that and to put that in into danger into into jeopardy or put that into harm's way kind of intentionally it's not like you know may okay maybe in the beginning when i first started doing heroin and smoking crack maybe there was a little bit of na- na- naivete whatever the word is maybe there was a little bit of like innocence mixed with hu- hubris um but after a while i knew what i was doing was really fucking bad like really Evil to to do that to myself and I did it anyway I had many opportunities lots of people reached out to help me like with most addicts, you know You try to help them. You try to help them. You drain all your resources You 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 do you do anything to try to help them and then they just go and they do what addicts do and they just keep using um bottoming out is is so necessary right because you don't have control it's not a moral issue, right? Once you cross that invisible line, maybe that's a better way of putting it, but once you cross that invisible line and your soul is held captive, it's not like you're my friend and you're crying and you're like, please stop, please stop, that, that I can go, yeah, you know, Aaron, you're a great guy and you have good intentions. I'm going to go ahead and take your advice. That's not an option. Yeah. It's not a moral issue. It's you've been hijacked oh. and you can't get out when that moment of grace appears and for some people for most people a moment of grace will present itself sometimes it's in the form of county jail sometimes it's in the form of a bad overdose and you wind up in rehab or there's a lot of different ways that grace can enter into your realm you get access to that soul to your true essence again unfortunately what most addicts do speaking from personal experience um Addiction and being super selfish go hand in hand. Unfortunately, what most addicts do is they take that grace for granted, and then they usually die. And again, it's not a moral issue. It's not because they're bad people. There's tons of people, millions of people that were way fucking better human beings than I am. Way better human beings, and they're dead. It's not, it's not a moral issue. It's not because they're bad some of them are young children that that are trying fentanyl or heroin for the first time and they and they die it's not a moral thing it's not that they're bad people it's just these are medicines it doesn't matter if it's ayahuasca it doesn't matter if it's psilocybin lsd opiates you know if if we have to if we get a compound fracture at the gym cuz we dropped the fucking whatever, like we're going to need opiates. Like opiates are an amazing amazing magical tool that can really truly help when it comes to things like that. But when you start fucking with them or other substances like ayahuasca, psilocybin on a consistent basis, dressing it up in the form of uh, a journey or plant medicine or whatever. I mean there's people that that live in this town that have done ayahuasca 38 times last year
0: yeah or more than
1: that or more and at a certain point like again i know i don't really have the right to judge but i'm curious like are you really doing journeys like how many fucking questions do you have mm-hmm. i had some very specific questions that i wanted answer the most important was how could my mother who gave birth to me how could she not love me I could not access that in twelve-step meetings. I could not access that through traditional therapy, but now that I'm doing the stuff that we're talking about, I can access those different channels and those different parts of my being. And I've been I've been invited. Fuck, I can't even remember how many times I've been invited to go plant medicine ceremony. We're gonna do Wachuma this weekend. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. I don't I don't want to be bitten by a toad and hallucinate i don't want to smoke dmt i don't want to go to costa rica to arrhythmia and you know and do this or do that um not because i'm better and not because i've cracked the code of life but because i was bold enough crazy enough and maybe even stupid enough at 17 years clean and sober to experiment with it i got the answers that i was looking for that's it
0: yeah, there can be like a romanticization of the spirit realm or the high realm like staying high yeah you know and, and almost like a, a divorcing oneself or like a almost like a, a an avoidance of this present plane which actually is psychedelic af yes that was something that i had i just did a uh, a darkness retreat which would be you know another one of those like awesome conversation type things yes so you sit you know you're sitting alone in a dark room for several days and they bring you food each day and you just sit with yourself and yeah. allow yourself to kind of like unspool. Um, and in that time frame, I had the awareness that, holy shit, this mundane plane of reality is psychedelic as a motherfucker. Oh yeah. It's just, I'm bombarded by distractions because I'm in avoidance of actually being with how magical and how crazy and how scary and how you know like just all of like the god that's circulating through this moment right now with you slash anything yeah being with your child being with the the barista at starbucks or sun life like that that's a dream yeah you know but we because it's become normalized we kind of neglect it it's like a relationship with somebody that you really care about, Mm -hmm. but it's just, they've been around for the last five years or like, uh, whatever. Yeah. You know, like we have that same relationship with just this, just like waking up, just starting the day and just being like being in your body. Yeah. But if there's almost an avoidance of that part or like a forgetting of that part, there can be a tendency of celebrating or romanticizing these other, planes of reality or these other states.
1: Yeah. And they're exciting and you become godlike, and you can see all things and you can see how everything is connected and that very much can be addictive. It's a beautiful, I,
0: it can also be a window into, into that. It's just hopefully once you get the message from God, put the phone down. Yeah.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, and you can access those places through, you know, going to church and mm-hmm. and you can access those places through reading the Quran or through um not the darkness one, but what's the other one? Vipassana. Yeah, I've done like, one of those two. Yeah. People people have had the same types of breakthroughs, if not even greater, having the discipline to do stuff like that.
0: It's great because it comes from the inside out. Yeah. So when you're using exogenous substances, it it works. And, yeah. it, and it feels like it's coming from the inside out, but it's really getting a pry bar from this exogenous yeah. And, you know, God substance.
1: But, but the, you know, the businessman that's made a couple hundred million dollars and has had three exits and, you know, doesn't know what to do with him. You know, he's got the ex-wife and the kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets invited to Moab, Utah on a mountain biking, uh, thing because he realized at 50 that he has a body and he needs to take care of it, especially post COVID. And his buddy hands him a chocolate bar and says, hey, there's magic mushrooms in there. And this guy, not knowing anything about anything because he was so busy making money his whole life, has, the, has a half a bar and has this incredible profound breakthrough and he realizes how we're all connected and he goes back and he repairs that relationship with the ex-wife and he repairs the relationship with his children and he can you know look into his dog's eyes his cat's eyes his children's eyes his mother who's gonna pass soon you know into her eyes and realizes the beauty and the vastness and the brevity of our existence that's where the psychedelics are fucking amazing because that dude would never go do a dark retreat he would never go do a fucking vipassana retreat how could he he's got board meetings or he's got this or making money you know lots of people love to say that you know money is the root of all evil the saying is the love of money is the root of all evil yeah it's the love of money it's not money itself money is fucking amazing yeah Anybody who tells you that money can't make you happy doesn't have any money or doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. If you're working a minimum wage job and all of a sudden you start making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you will become much more happy. (laughs) That's the great news. Here's the bad news. After a certain point, L.A., New York, it's about four hundred thousand a year um, places like Austin, it would probably be more like 150,000 a year. But once you make more than that, your happiness doesn't increase after that. Right. But if you go from having no money and working a shit job to having a meaningful career where you're making enough money, where you can fly first class, never look at the price on a menu again, shower your friends and loved ones with gifts, you are going to become so much fucking happier once you have money
0: allows like a release of a contraction or a bracing. Yeah. It's like one level of bracing released. It's not all the levels. It's definitely not all the
1: levels. As a matter of fact, the the great irony is, as Jim Carrey says, like, I wish everybody could become rich and famous so they could realize it has nothing to fucking do with that. Once you get to the top part of the pyramid, and it sounds like I'm trying to say that people that make money are above other. No one's above anybody. We're all the same but the Maslow's hierarchy is very real. And once you have those baselines met, once everything sort of falls into place, then you can actually start doing the real work.
0: Yeah, you need to feel safe and stable enough to be able to be like held in your pain.
1: For sure, for sure. And also, I think the biggest distraction or one of the biggest distractions, aside from social media, which this goes hand in hand, is the self-righteous indignation and is the condemnation of other people. You can avoid an entire lifetime by playing judge and jury on your little fucking keyboard on your iPhone. You, okay. can, you can waste an entire fucking lifetime never having reached your potential by judging others harshly. And here's the question that I always pose to people. If tomorrow... You mysteriously inherited, miraculously or mysteriously inherited ten million dollars. It's a good number, ten million dollars after taxes. I think you wind up with about six and a half million dollars. Um, and you and you met the partner of your dreams, and that was all of a sudden your existence. Would you really be talking shit about people? Would you? Have time for it? Would you waste it? Like Kelly Slater doesn't talk shit about people. Rick Rubin doesn't talk shit about people. Anthony Kiedis doesn't talk shit about people. I know that for a fact, not because I'm special, but because I open businesses in places where those people come in and I feed them and I leave them the fuck alone. And sooner or later, sometimes not always you develop relationships with these people. And what I've noticed about these people is they don't talk shit about people. And it was weird at first. I remember Rick Rubin really distanced himself from me for a while and then his, his—I'll call it whatever—his baby mama, his the love of his life, handed me a book called Nonviolent Communication. That's a good one. And I was like, so like, but ten years ago, you know, and this fucking person did this, and that fucking bitch did that, and so and so did this, and my fucking landlord did that.
0: Like, this was you. Oh.
1: Uh... Yeah. People don't want to be around that.
0: It's poor emotional hygiene is what it is. It's a contagion. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah, you're spit you're spewing out these this like um it's like a germ.
1: Yeah. And you're harming the people that are listening, you're harming yourself, you're harming the people that you're talking about. And when you're causing harm and causing harm and causing harm, then harm comes to you. Mm. We're magnets, you know. The the law of attraction is real. Unfortunately, it's been you know taken and turned into something kooky and wacky and now people are manifest coaches and all that stuff but that stuff's real i mean manifesting is real what you put in is what you get out then what you think about and what you talk about is what's coming to you i i it really really upsets me when i hear people say things like oh i can't afford that oh i could never afford that mm. you're right yeah And then some completely Pollyannic, ignorant, uneducated man like myself who watches something like The Secret and all of a sudden starts going, oh, uh, abundance and prosperity is flowing freely to me now, quickly, easily, and painlessly from all directions all the time. Well, after so many thousands of times of saying that, Aaron, it happened. Weird shit weird sources of income coming people asking me to be a consultant people asking me to come speak in front of a big corporate event for some big corporate company the book fuck i just wanted people to like me i wanted i wanted people to hear my story and go oh fuck well if he quit drugs then i can quit drugs little did i know that 99 percent of the people that read my book aren't drug addicts Hmm. they're people that know drug addicts or they're people that have drug addicts in their life or have lost loved ones that are drug addicts, but people read my book and they go, fuck, if that idiot can become successful, then I can become successful. That's the real value in my story because I love the Elon Musks and the Tim Ferrises and the wh- wh- whoever's. I love all of those super cool people that have done super cool things and I, and I derive a little bit of inspiration out of reading about them. But if you go down the rabbit hole, they're really fucking smart. I'm not. They came from good families, many of them. I didn't. They're highly educated. I'm definitely not. And really, if you start looking under the rocks and you really start to ask questions, usually some nepotism or generational wealth involved. And that is not the case for me. I am living proof that you don't have to be smart to be successful. And you don't have to be talented to be successful, that you can literally do anything you want to do as long as you believe that you can do it. And as long as you're willing to do the work and as long as you're willing to put one foot in front of the other 1% at a time, one day at a time on a consistent basis every day, no matter what practice over a sustained period of time, you wake up months later, years later. And you look in the mirror and you go, "Holy fuck, I cannot believe this is my life."
0: That's really feels important.
1: Thank you, son of a bitch. Chatty Kathy over here. No, that was good. Thank uh, you, buddy.
0: Yeah, this is really. This is. There's a lot more stuff that I'd love to share and say and ask but
1: you just have to tackle me and drag me here we'll do it again you know, yeah or we'll have that trouble. beautiful what's her name jessica have her lure me here yeah, that's good. <laughs> khalil come with me <laughs> yes <laughs> i told um oh my god she's gonna kill me the beautiful mushroom girl ali ali i told ali yesterday because I'm, I'm like really loyal when it comes to brands and i have a certain brand that i love with the mushrooms and you know the person's my friend that owns it so i'm always very protective about not bringing in other brands which is silly because air one has fucking 50 yep. mushroom brands but anyway she was like you know maybe we had this amazing conversation i mean she's fucking brilliant she and we had this amazing conversation and i was like you know she was asking me about events and i'm like not going, not into it. However, if you'd love to grab breakfast, I would love to treat you. And then she says, if you, uh, these mints don't really compete with anybody. Why don't you just at least bring our mints in? And I looked at her and I'm like, Allie, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you say. Just tell me what to do. (laughs) The power of her intelligence and her beauty put together with her, what do you call that stature or like her, just like how tall and glamorous and glorious she is like i'll fucking do anything just tell me what to do
0: women are powerful
1: women are powerful
0: femininity is powerful
1: true femininity
0: true femininity is powerful it's not just a woman thing or a man thing i mean we're all powerful but femininity like actually embodied mature femininity is fucking powerful
1: it is it's so magical and i i so wholeheartedly believe that women should run everything i think women should (laughs) i I really do i think women should run the fucking world not now not while there's this evil motherfucker in china and this evil person and wherever like all these evil people that want to kill us and destroy us i kind of want to have an evil dude in office that's going to protect us right if i'm going down an alley late at night i don't want your beautiful helper to protect me i want you to protect me not that you're evil but you're a big fucking gnarly giant tough dude that's where my politics rests I don't necessarily want the cool person that I love, that I want to hang out with. I want someone that's going to scare the shit out of everybody else because it's a scary time, man. It's scary. This is the first time since I was 12 years old where I'm like wondering if I'm going to wake up in the morning and see a fucking mushroom cloud outside the window. Like I don't, I don't like where we are. It's also a
0: beautiful time in a lot of ways.
1: Amazing time. But let's get to the point where women run the world.
0: (laughs) with that um thank you so much thank you um, your book i forgot to die highly recommended thank you i feel like people would gather that from this conversation if you want to go deeper into this i would, I would recommend going that direction um sun life is one of my favorite places to grab food. thank you and they're kind of all over the place they're getting there they're yeah and then you guys have matcha yeah we saw
1: we just started doing some cpg um brands i didn't want to do what everybody else does which is like just have somebody private label for us like i spent years sourcing that matcha and i finally found the right one and i finally convinced the tea master in kagoshima japan to let us bring it in and sell it ourselves as our own brand and the greens powder took almost exactly a year to get the perfect greens powder that doesn't cost an arm a dick and a leg like what was so frustrating for me especially back when i was working minimum wage jobs greens powder is the ultimate you just fucking grab a heaping tablespoon you throw it in some water you down it you got most of what you need right why is it a hundred dollars like what the fuck i know it doesn't cost a hundred dollars to make so i went down the rabbit hole and i talked to a bunch of different manufacturers and i finally found one that was willing to do everything 100 certified organic everything amazing and if you look at the ingredients i think you'll be pleasantly surprised so right. we now have our own green we have our own greens powder we have our own matcha next will be a hydration powder um which is going to be fucking awesome uh it'll be out in a couple of weeks and um yeah if people want to follow along for my journey um at khalil rafati on instagram that's about it thank you man Thank you, brother. I really appreciate
0: this conversation. Me too. Um, That's it. That's all. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I want to invite you over to the Align Podcast YouTube channel where we share two instructional videos each week. These are high quality, well edited videos. We shoot them here at Audit Gym mostly. And it's everything from corrective exercise to joint mobilizations to strength training to all the ins and outs of how to feel better in your body. So I am very proud of the Align Podcast YouTube channel. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I want to thank you as well for subscribing to this podcast so you get each week's episodes. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for leaving reviews. Thanks for doing you. I'll see you next week.